The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. Well, good morning. Um, I have been blessed with some of the best friends. Uh, it's actually probably one of my most consistent blessings where I have lived in half a dozen states, and in every single one of them, God just brings in these amazing people into my life, which is awesome. Uh, Though, with all of these best friends, growing up, I had this fear. And the fear came from the idea that, okay, one day I'm going to get married, and I have since gotten married, but when you get married, you have your best man, and then you have like this like fleet of people behind them. And so in my mind, I thought, you know what, I have to figure out who's going to go where. And so I was constantly wondering, okay, well, who's going to be the number one, and then the number two, and the number three, and the number four. Now, if I had just internalized this, If this had just been what's inside my head, okay, that would be my own little problem. But where I screwed up was I decided that I was going to start telling them where they ranked, right? And so I literally had a ranking of friends. Never do this. It's really toxic to relationships, right? But in my head, I knew who was number one, who was number two, who was number three. And I would occasionally update them on where they were in the rankings, Um, I didn't realize how serious they took this, though, until I went off to seminary, and one of my friends, Matt, brought a bag, and he said, Joshua, this is your seminary survival kit. And I'm like, what? He's like, open it up. You'll see. And it is probably, to this day, one of the most creative gifts I have ever gotten, because inside this duffel bag were things like a set of poker chips, and he had written on it, your seminary scholarship fund. Or there were shot glasses that says, I love Jesus, and that was his mental health solution. And he had just gift after gift after this, and he gives these to me, and I don't know why, it just struck me at this moment. I'm like, I did something wrong with my friends. He goes, this better move me into the top three. And we immediately both knew what he was talking about, but this idea of best friend. And thankfully, when I got married, my best friend is now my wife. And so that really solves that problem. And in with my friends now, I just have a category of best friends. Now, I don't tell that story just to be cute, but to really set the stage to understand that as we look at the different Gospels, right, and we're wrapping up the series and how each of them reflects Jesus differently. Each of them talks about the same God, the same Messiah, but they give us a different look, a different perspective into his life. John, the final book, is written by Jesus' best friend. Think about that for a moment. I don't we don't think about Jesus that way. He was born. He had a mom. He had a, certainly a, a stepfather. But he also had friends. And what we find in John is that it was his best friend who wrote the book about him. This comes from John 21. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This is important, right? So he sees this guy who the book refers to as the one Jesus loved. This was the one who leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? So when Peter saw him, the one Jesus loved, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is it to you? But you must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is it to you? This is the disciple who testifies to you these things and who wrote them down. We know his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. And if every one of them were written down, I suppose that the whole world would not even have room for the books that would be written. But check that the one whom Jesus loved. And throughout John, Jesus shows love on a ton of people. 
But this one specifically, multiple times, is said, the one he loved. And according to this, this is the disciple who testifies these things and wrote them down. John was Jesus' best friend. He was one who knew him best. And in the same way where if you really wanted to get a true account of my life, you talk to my wife, you talk to those people in that category of best friend, that's what John brings to the conversation. That's his insight into the gospel, into who this Jesus was and why this Jesus came. And what we find throughout church history is that John was two things. He was considered a pillar in the church. So there were three main quote-unquote pillars where you would say, well, there was Peter, there was James, and there were John. And you could probably add Paul into that mix as well. But they were the core of the early church. In fact, when the early church would have a problem, they would reach out to these three men. And they would say, hey, we're debating something right now. Can you give us some insight, some perspective into this? Right? And he's also almost certainly the longest living originally disciple, original disciple of Jesus. Most of them ended up being killed for their faith. But John, he lived into his old age. And so he walked with the early church as they developed, as they wrestled through who is Jesus and why did Jesus come. And what ended up happening is there became a debate about who Jesus was. Was he the son of God? Was he man? Was he just a good guy? Was he a teacher? And so all these different competing ideas of who Jesus was. And John writes his gospel to kind of set the record straight. But also to show us that Jesus has both the divinity and the humanity at the same time, right? Divinity means the divine. It means God. And in John, it becomes pretty clear very early on that he's going to emphasize the divinity, the godhood of Jesus. But we also see what it means to be fully human. We see humanity at its best. So we're going to go through some scripture that really just highlight these two different, not competing themes, because it's not an either or. Jesus can be God or Jesus can be man. No, John, his best friend, says he's both. And they complement one another. And together they become the Messiah. So John 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. We talked about this about a month ago, but in early Greek thought, this statement wouldn't have worked. Because to the Greeks, the word word there is in Greek logos. And logos meant the divine, it meant the holy, it meant the pure. And so for John to say, in the beginning was the divine, and the divine was God, and the divine was with God, that would make total sense. They'd be like, of course. But then he says, the divine, the word, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That wouldn't work in Greek thought. That would be a double take for everyone. Because this idea was, you can be divine, you can be spiritual, you can be pure, or you can be in a physical world. But the physical world is not pure. The physical world is not good. It's a shadow of what the world is meant to be. 
And yet in John's gospel, what we have is Jesus being both divine, holy, and pure, and yet also made of flesh. Also being physical, also being a part of the world. And so immediately, John sets the stage and he says, Jesus is both divine and human. And then as we go throughout his gospel, what you see is him again and again and again emphasizing those two points, almost like a breath. You breathe in, divine. You breathe out, human. And again and again and again you see that. This comes from John 8. And the religious leaders, the pastors, are trying to work through who Jesus is. And he's doing all these miracles and he's gathering all these people. And so they're wondering, well, are you a prophet? Are you doing this from God? Or maybe Satan's giving you this power and you're just tricking everybody. And so he says this in John 8. I'm not possessed by a demon. Jesus said last week, can I have some water? Thank you. Sorry about this. (laughs) I'm not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I am not seeking the glory for myself, but the one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this they exclaimed, and this is the religious leaders now, now we know that you're demon-possessed, because Abraham, our forefather, died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death? Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you did not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but he hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Now, this escalates quickly. There's this fight over Jesus, and who is he? Is he a prophet? All this stuff is going on. And then he makes this statement, before Abraham was born, I am. And then it escalates to, well, we have to kill him. And the reason why it escalates so quickly is because what Jesus is saying is he ties himself to Yahweh. In the Old Testament, if you were to read Hebrew and you were to see the word the Lord, in fact, if you look in your Bible, in the Old Testament, almost every translation will have the Lord. And if you ever see Lord capitalized, so L-O-R-D, all in capital letters, that is our modern way of using Yahweh. Because Yahweh's name in the Old Testament was so holy, so pure, that they wouldn't say it directly. They would actually insert the word Adonai, which is another word for God. Because they didn't want to insult God by saying his name. That's how holy they thought his name was. And so when Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am, you see, Yahweh came from the root word to be. And so if you were to say, I am a Hebrew, or I am a male, or I am a female, you'd use that root word. And so what Jesus does 
is he says, before Abraham was, before the foundation of our religion was, before the forefather of everything that you know and believe of God choosing our people, he says, I am. And he connects himself to God in the same way where Moses, when he goes before God and God tells him, go and save my people, and Moses says, well, who do I say sent me? What God sent me. God tells Abraham, say, I am sent you. Jesus ties his identity directly into the identity of God. He says, I am divine. And throughout all of John's gospel, he repeats that over and over again, not just by his words, but by his actions, by his love, by his miracles, and by his sacrifice. But that's not the end of the story. No, we find out what kind of God that we have in the story of Lazarus. Lazarus had died. He was a friend of Jesus. Jesus shows up to where his family is mourning, and when Jesus saw her, this is one of the sisters of Lazarus weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? Jesus asked. Well, come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who could open the eyes of the blind man have not kept this man from dying? Lazarus was a friend. The family was a friend. Lazarus dies. Now, the irony is Jesus knows he's going to bring Lazarus back from the dead in about five minutes. And yet, what happens is Jesus comes into a situation where the world is broken and he mourns. He weeps because in John we find we have a Messiah who connects to our pain. Oftentimes we can think of God as being separate from us. He's got bigger things to handle, right? He's taking care of the universe. He's taking care of countries. God doesn't care that I'm sick. God doesn't care that this person broke up with me. God doesn't care about this financial hardship or whatever else, and we think God is separate from us. We think he doesn't understand the pain. He doesn't understand the hurt. And yet what John's gospel repeats again and again and again is a God who is divine and yet keeps showing up and doesn't show up with judgment, doesn't show up with anger, doesn't show up and saying, wow, this is your problem. He shows up and he cries. He connects he says, your pain is my pain. Your challenges are my challenges. We find in John is a God who shows up consistently and faithfully. It's before the Passover festival. This is the last meal that Jesus is going to have with his best friends, his first disciples. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I love that. He, he loved them to the end. And then he shows them what this love looks like. The evening meal was in progress. The devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing and he wrapped a towel around his waist. 
After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around them. This is before showers. This is before shoes. I mean, they had sandals, but no socks, no full coverings. And the dirtiest part of your body was your feet. And only the lowliest servant would touch someone's feet. So what does Jesus do to show how much he loves his friends? He takes off his jacket. He gets on his hands and knees. And he shows them his love by doing what only the lowliest of servant was supposed to do. What we find in John is a Messiah, is a God and a man who loves so deeply, he will go to any length to have a relationship with his people. He'll die. What's interesting about this is this is the day that he's going to be betrayed by all of his best friends. Just before this meal, he tells his disciples, you're all going to abandon me. He still washes their feet. In this verse, we find out that Judas had already agreed to betray Jesus, and he still washes his feet. We find a Messiah that even though we still all in our own ways every week find ways to push him away, find ways to deny what he's up to, so you know what, I got better ideas than you have. We have a Messiah who says, no, I love you and I will love you to the end. I will show you what that love looks like. The last action Jesus takes before he dies. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister Mary and the wife of Cleopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. The Gospel of John shows us what divine looks like, what real divinity looks like. But it also shows us what it looks like to be fully human. Jesus had a mom. Jesus cared for his mom. And the last thing Jesus does on the cross is he sees his mom, sees his best friend, says, and I need you to take care of her now. In Jesus, we see what humanity can look like. The irony is if you were to go and look at the other gods in Jesus' time, Zeus or Aphrodite, they had all this power, and yet all their stories were so petty. It was like a soap opera. It was like looking at the worst of humanity. And here Jesus shows up, fully God, with all the power, with all the authority, and what we find not is a petty small God, but a fully alive, fully human God. Because remember, humanity was made in the image of God. We're meant to reflect him. And so Jesus shows up, the Lagos shows up, the divine shows up as a full God, but also full of what potential humanity has. What it looks like to be a son or a daughter of God, fully built in God's image, fully unleashed, fully loving. And in every breath Jesus takes, he is both God and man. 
And he ends his gospel by connecting God's love for us to our love for the world. We talked about how his disciples, his best friends, betrayed him, abandoned him. That showed up with Peter, where on the night that he was betrayed, Peter three times was asked, do you believe in Jesus? And three times, Peter said, I want nothing to do with him. I don't know this man, to the point where he starts cursing himself in public just to try to prove I'm not following Jesus. And yet, John tells us that Jesus loved him to the end. So Jesus comes back. He's talking to Peter. And when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. A third time, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time. And at this moment, you, you know Peter knows what's happening, right? Peter is very fresh in his memory that he denied Jesus three times. And now Jesus is asking three times, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Then Jesus said to him, follow The first words of Jesus to Peter were, come follow me. The last words to Peter are, come follow me. And in between there, Peter discovers a Messiah who is divine, who can feed the hungry, heal the sick, raise the dead. But he also finds a Messiah who is fully human, and who says, I have come that you may have life and life to the full. Translated another way, I have come so you can be fully human. And you want to know what fully human looks like? Love. Feed my sheep. Take care of my world. Bring out the best in people. In the same way that Jesus brought out the best in people. And we're going to make mistakes. And even when we make mistakes, we have a God who continues to show his love even until the end. Who forgives, who smiles and says, do you love me? Let's go love some folks. Come follow me. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for being a God who invites us to follow. Lord, even... While we were sinners, you die for us. Lord, that's the kind of Messiah who leaves the world changed, who leaves our lives changed. Lord, I pray that this coming week we are able to hear your voice, hear that invitation to come and follow, and to love as deeply as you love. Lord, to be fully human, made in your image. Sent as you've sent Jesus. Lord, we say this all in your son's precious name.
Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at actschurchleander.com.